And welcome back to the third episode of Second Stringer Sports Podcast. Since our last episode, there has been a lot going on in the big wide world of sports, so we're just going to get right into it. Tonight, as always, I am Griffin, and here with my other two hosts. I'm Najee. And I'm Joe. All right, guys. We're going to start it off with the NFL. Uh, What do we think of this last week's play? I mean, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins stole the show with a last-second game winner over the heads of three defenders. Absolutely insane catch. Yeah, I think he's proving again that he is, in my opinion, the best wide receiver in the NFL. And I think that the dude throwing him the ball has firmly put himself in the MVP conversation. Absolutely. I I definitely have to agree with that. I've been saying for the past couple of seasons that D-Hop is a top, you know, wide receiver in this league. Um, I've even put him in the top five a bunch of times in previous years. And, you know, it, you're really seeing how big of a, of a mistake Houston made by dealing him to Arizona. No, for sure. I mean, that was obviously terrible decision-making on their part. But I will have to ask, because you did say top five, would you rank him above Devontae Adams, seeing as you are, you know, a Packers fan? Obviously, recently uh, in the media, they've been talking, oh, I'm number one or I'm the bad receiver. But, you know, when push comes to shove, who is it, in your opinion, who is the top receiver in the NFL? Um, To me, I know most people, um, when asked this question, usually say Michael Thomas within the past season and this season. Um, but between D-Hop and, and Devontae, I think they're they're different receivers. I think Devontae is a true route runner. So that's why, you know, he has such a strong connection with, with Rodgers is he's great, you know, um, at running routes, particularly comeback routes, slants, anything that, that has to deal with either sideline catches or receiving after catching um, versus D-Hop kind of is – you know, he he can do a little bit more things in Devontae. I think he can also route run, not as good as Devontae, but nevertheless. But also he's he kind of has that OBJ kind of style in him that he's one of those guys you can just throw the ball up to him and, you know, nine times out of ten he's going to come down with it no matter who's on him. Um, so I'd have to put D-Hop a little bit above Devontae overall. Um, but – each, each of them are in a situation with their quarterbacks that works, and you, you see both of, the, both of them thriving this, uh, this season so far. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with that, that there are two different receivers that have different qualities. I would say that I feel like uh, DeAndre Hopkins is a little bit more like elusive. He kind of has that speed. I'm, I'm not saying Adams isn't fast, but I'm saying that, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, like he's – different builds, so it, like he has to use what he has to his advantage, and I think he does that really well. And you spoke about the connection with their quarterbacks, and I think that is a true point. You know, with Murray and Hopkins, it works really well. With Rodgers and Adams, it works really well. Uh, Joe, what do you think about this point? Um, I mean, yeah, obviously it's, as with a lot of wide receivers, it's tough to compare because they're each in their own different situations. But, I mean, 
you just look at what D Hop adds to any team. I mean, obviously last year the Cardinals really just were not good at all, and um, and then they really, as far as I remember, they didn't make a ton of moves. They just added D Hop and probably a couple other role players, and all of a sudden they're in contention for the NFC West title and considered one of the top teams in the league. So you look at just that aspect of what D Hop brings to a team. And even when you look at what the Texans are now, that they're just a mess without him. Like, I think just, I don't know if it's intangibles or something, but there's certainly something that he adds. And obviously we haven't seen that with Adams because he's been on the Packers his entire career, but it's just something that you really need to take into consideration is like what teams do with him and without him. No, yeah, and just um, the idea. Oh, my fault. I just... Overall, I would say, uh, like with Murray, he's definitely had like a breakout season. And you mentioned it earlier, Joe, that you know he could be having like an MVP season. And you know, if you compare his numbers to like an MVP season of Lamar Jackson, they're actually similar, if not slightly better, in many categories. But it all comes down to you know, he didn't have that season last year. So obviously he's like growing in the NFL as he matures, you know, takes on more responsibilities and plays more games. But you're right. DeAndre Hopkins is just an elite receiver and he brings that level to a team. Yeah. And um, you talked about comparing um, Kyler to um, say Lamar last year. And if you look at their numbers, they're, very similar, like, as far as how they'd be projected throughout the season. I mean, right now, Kyler has about 2,400 passing yards, 17 touchdowns, eight picks, and six, 604 rushing yards and 10 rushing touchdowns through nine games, which is insane, for, especially for a quarterback. Um, I, honestly, I don't think Lamar even – Lamar had – he had seven rushing touchdowns for all of last year, over 1,000 yards, though. And they're act, they actually – are currently averaging the same amount of rushing yards, which I think is interesting. And see, so yeah, I think Kyler is certainly on pace to replicate or even exceed what Lamar did. But um, especially with um, the Seahawks kind of taking a couple big hits past couple weeks, I think that the MVP race, we thought it was decided. You know, Russ was going off. It was his year. He's finally going to win one. And now I think it's wide open that you can talk about Kyle, you can talk about Aaron Rodgers, you can talk about still Russ, but it's definitely more of a race than it was, than people thought it was, um, say, you know, through the first quarter and change of the season. Absolutely. And just to add quick about the um, Lamar-Kyler-Murray comparison, I think we we've seen it time and time again that Lamar Jackson he is he is box office. There's no no debating that. There's no question about it. The question going forward for him that I think Kyler really has already established is throwing the football consistently and accurately. We've seen Kyler do similar things to Lamar in terms of running, maybe not as explosive, maybe not as aggressive, but you know within the same ballpark um, but throwing the football, Kyler is, you know, leaps ahead of Lamar. And I think that's going to be Lamar's biggest, 
you know, flaw going forward. And it's kind of, I, I compare it to a Russell Westbrook situation because as you guys know, Russell Westbrook is not the greatest shooter of the basketball. And once you take away, because primarily their games are based around athleticism. Once you take away their athleticism, then you really see, you know, what they're made of and what, you know, what their older days, you know, and the in their careers are going to look like. And if Lamar, you know, if he does not improve his passing game, you know, fairly soon, uh, that that's pretty concerning if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I feel like uh, just going back to the comparison between the two, I feel like Murray's season this season so far, at least compared to Lamar Jackson's, has been like better passing wise. So that's why he's had the ability to run really well because they see him as a threat in the air and on the ground. So they can't really cover or know what the plan is. And just to give a couple of stats, um, this is just through the first nine games of the season. Uh, Murray has 40 more passing yards per game, a 3% higher completion rate, essentially the same yards per rush, but he has six more total touchdowns. And obviously, Lamar Jackson got the MVP at that end of that season. So if he stays on pace for this, it definitely will be interesting to see. Because as Joe, you mentioned, it kind of was seen that, oh, Russell Westbrook has this season unlocked. He's finally going to get that MVP. But I, you're right. The door is open and Murray's creeping in. Yeah. And I think another dude who somehow has gone under the radar this year is Mahomes. Mahomes only has one pick this year. That's insane. He has 25 touchdowns and one pick. He has one pick? Wow. Through nine games. And he started every single game. And nobody's talking about it, which I think is insane. I mean, obviously, it's he, he's thrown 50 touchdowns before. And, I mean, you look at it, he's on pace to get close to that. I mean, you know, people somehow are just not talking about him. I mean, maybe it's because he's just – surrounded by weapons they want to give other people you know a shot at being talked about as MVP but there's just there's a, so many names out there now that are being floated around it's not just Russ Wilson who's got it all on lock um you know Russ despite his recent struggles relatively speaking he's still throwing the ball pretty well this season and I think right now he's probably still the front runner but Things can change. I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly. I think um, Russell is experiencing what um, Aaron Rodgers has had to experience in the past, having, you know, a very underperforming defense. You know, Russell Wilson, you know, they had Legion of Boom his rookie year for a couple of years, that whole group. Um, and they've always had a relatively good defense to kind of, you know, suppress some of that. Um, the pressure on him, you know, when, when they did have three and outs, when they uh, had to settle for field goals, he's kind of realizing that, you know, if he's not scoring 30, 40 points, they have zero chance of winning. Um, and I think 
that that's the main reason for his recent blunders and his turnovers um, for the last couple games. But um, I do not see the defense really, you know, getting ex- exponentially better um, towards the end of the season. Maybe, maybe even quite the opposite. Yeah, the, the Seattle pass defense is just god awful. You know, you remember, like you said, the Legion of Boom was really the yeah. anchor of that team during their Super Bowl runs back in the first half of the 2010s. But just with all of them gone, it it's terrible. I'm pretty sure they're allowing the most um, – They're, I mean, they're definitely one of the worst secondaries in the league. And they might be allowing the most um, receiving yards per game overall. Don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to – I think they're up there. I think it's between them and Dallas, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Compared to a Dallas defense, like we know that something's going wrong. But to go back to your point, Najee, I mean, you're right. If he doesn't, you know, score a ton of points, we saw it in this past game, you know, against the Rams. They put up 16. They lost 16 to 23. And, I mean, the Rams have played solid all season. They haven't been, you know, a top-tier team, but they haven't been bad. They're always consistent. But one thing that stands out, two receptions for 28 yards total, no touchdowns. I mean, he was targeted four times, so that just goes to show how well he was covered the entirety of the game. I mean, when you don't have your number one option – for pretty much a whole game, what, what are you going to do? You're, you're not going to be able to get those consistent scores. You're not going to be able to put up significant numbers. See, my thing with the yeah. Seattle um, offensive weapons is that I wouldn't call DK the clear number one. I think they're he's a co-number one with Lockett. And the way that yeah. um, their sort of dynamic works is usually it will kind of be one or the other. It like, as far as I can tell, rarely do both of them have great games together. It's usually one or the other. So, with if um, Metcalf is taken completely out of the picture, if he's just blanketed all game, like I think, oops, forget who was covering him. It might have been uh, oh yeah, he had Jalen Ramsey on him the entire game. That's right. Um, but that then that leaves Lockett to get fed the ball the entire game. And if Lockett's blanketed by a top corner, then it means DK can get the ball for most of the game. So it's not that big of a deal if one of them is just locked down the entire game because they have other options to fill that hole. And also, I just looked it up. Um, The Seahawks have the worst passing defense in the NFL by a wide margin. They have let up almost 3,200 yards and next worst is the Falcons with 2,800. So do the math there. It's not great. Um, and going to your point about the Lockett Metcalf, I definitely see that tandem. And yeah, like they play off one another. But I would say this the fact that Lockett in this game against the Rams was only able to get five catches for 66 yards, no touchdown. Uh, you know, it showed that, you know, Russ wasn't really able to do much. I mean, he put up. 248 yards and two interceptions and he didn't throw any touchdowns. So I think that's like 
going back to the point that Najee made about how, you know, if Russ can't consistently put up numbers, then it's going to be problematic for the entirety of the Seahawks, as well as his, like, MVP campaign. Because realistically, how long, you know, can Russ do that without getting burnt out? You know, that pressure, I mean, we've already started to see it in recent weeks. That pressure is just going to keep building up, building up, where, you know, he's just so concerned and worried about putting up numbers um, and points, uh, essentially, um, that he's making those mental errors that leads to those interceptions, turnovers, and ultimately them losing, you know, ball games. Yeah, he's thrown the past two weeks, both losses. Um, he's thrown two touchdowns to four picks. If you want to take it up to before the bye, he has thrown seven picks to nine touchdowns. Not great. And he's lost three of four. I mean, I will say this. It's not like the Seahawks are, you know, playing easy teams. Rams, obviously, you mentioned Ramsey was guarding Metcalf the entire night. And then the week before that, they were playing the Bills, who, you know, they've been on a hot streak to play really well. Uh, But looking forward, I think it's definitely interesting because it will be Seahawks-Cardinals tomorrow, uh, Thursday night game. And I think that's big because, you know, we're talking about Kyler Murray being MVP candidate, so I think it's kind of like a clash of the possible MVP battle right here. Yeah, the you saw the last game they played, and it was a phenomenal game. So I'm really looking forward to um, tomorrow night's game. I think it's gonna be might be my game of the week, to be honest. Like I think it's gonna be a great game, high scoring, just like last time. Um, both secondaries are god awful, so. Um, there's going to be a lot of points, a lot of reception yards, a lot of fantasy points. Anybody who has Hopkins, Lockett, Metcalf, Kyler, Russ on their teams. Yep. So look out for them. I have three of those guys, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yep. And also just one uh, point to close out our discussion of the Seahawks. Um, and, and really the entire NFC West, they are extremely fortunate that, you know, the champs of the NFC last year are really not contenders because if the 49ers were at full strength, they still had Bosa, you know, their running game was still explosive. You know, if they weren't plagued with, with the injuries, you know, the NFC West would even would be even more wide open than it already is. You know, you have three teams that are six and three and you have the 49ers that are four and six. If the 49ers were at full strength as they were last year, they would, they could potentially have, you know, been at the top of this division and you have the other three teams, Seahawks, Rams, and Cardinals, you know, desperately trying to make it into the playoffs. And I think the absence of San Fran this year has really um, allowed the Seahawks, despite their recent struggles, to still, you know, be in this division. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like, it will be a test to see how they can do with Russ coming back. You know, not the best couple of games, so see how he can bounce back. Uh, but going off, you know, this game, I would agree with you that this week, uh, you know, Cardinals, Seahawks, that's that's the game of the week. You know, Thursday night football, it, it's definitely the one to look out for. 
And, you know, just looking ahead into, you know, the rest of the week, I would say there aren't many two key matchups. I would say that next week and, you know, week 12, that the Thursday night game, so I guess that would be Thanksgiving football, uh, Ravens-Steelers, I think that could be a good one. Obviously, the Steelers are still undefeated, and they're going to be playing the Jaguars this Sunday. But uh, going into Thursday night, Thanksgiving football, Ravens-Steelers, I think that's going to be a good matchup too. It's definitely one to look out for. Um, I'm assuming the other two Thanksgiving games are not going to be good because I know it's going to be the Lions in one game and the Cowboys in another, and they're both awful. So, oh, don't worry, it gets better. It's going to be Lions Texans. <sighs> yep. Close game. Wait for it. It gets better. Cowboys versus oh, the Washington man. football team. Oh, NFL man. fumbled the bag. Do you have any Thanksgiving? Uh huh. So, in case you have any Thanksgiving plans, uh, you can make them from twelve thirty to about eight o'clock. But once eight twenty hits, you're gonna want to tune into NFL football. God. I feel like they're they're bad every year. To be honest, all the the Thanksgivings are always terrible. Because they have to have the Cowboys, the Lions, and the and, Washington football. And I don't team get play. that because, like, why? Like, yeah. I don't. I, I get, like, the, oh, it's, like, ritual or something. But why is it a ritual? Like, let other teams play. Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones, <laughs> Jerry Jones uh, pull, pulling, the, pulling the strings behind the scene to make that one work year after year. That's so bad. I mean, even if the teams were at full strength, I mean, really only the Cowboys are the ones that have injuries, that wouldn't be a fun game No, to it's watch. not. Like, it's too bad they can't just, like, flex another like they do with Sunday Night Football sometimes like you know flex another team in there or something because like I'm pretty sure there's good games on yeah. what is it week 12 like yeah week 12 doesn't have that bad of matchups I mean Titans Colts Titans have been struggling lately uh, Tannehill has but I mean Colts are a good defense and going against King Henry you know yeah that, that's a good Ooh, matchup Chiefs box um, that'd be a that's gonna be a great game Good one. I mean, I mean the Bears and the Packers always have that that rivalry going. So I mean, there's like still plenty yeah. of yeah, games. but no, Dolphins and uh, Dolphins and or geez, what am I saying? Cowboys and uh, Lions. I don't know where the Dolphins came from. Yeah, well, the Dolphins are playing the Jets. Oh, nice. That's another key matchup. For hey, don't sleep on the Dolphins. The Dolphins are not not doing terribly. They're six and three. No, they're not. I'm not. They're, I'm not. they're, they're exceeding the everybody's Juarez, expectations. Can we, can we talk about how it's a five-game winning oh, wow. streak, too? They started the season at one and three, and now they're six and that. three. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Winning streak. Uh, they're second in the uh, AFC wow. East standings. That's – yeah, you told me at the start of start of the – or even – during the off season, um, yeah, the Dolphins are going to be in play for the AFC East. If you told me at any point that the Dolphins no. were going to be second, they were god awful last year. They didn't get <laughs> incredibly well. Actually, they made some good uh, additions, and they got Tua back there now. He's been doing solid, not phenomenal, but solid. So he has been he's been winning games, and I'll just say this. I think we all owe him an apology because we were like, what is the organization doing? 
Why are they taking Fitzpatrick out? And he's played well. I mean, I don't know really what their plan is like long term. I'm assuming Fitzpatrick is just a mentor role now, and two is it. But they've been playing well. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind the two uh, yep. decision. I mean, when they put him in, they were probably sitting around 500. It's like, yeah, you know, lost season, might as well let the kid get his reps, and he has. Gave them, a, or he gave them a winning record. So, uh, yeah, all in all, it ended up being a good decision for him. Um, you don't know if Fitzpatrick would be able to do the uh, the same there. So, oh no, he, he always has yeah. his like moment of glory, plateaus, oh, yeah. and then downfall. That's how he operates. That's gonna wrap up. All about the NFL. Key matchup, Cardinals, Seahawks. Can't miss it. Definitely the game to watch for this week. Uh, as always, Thanksgiving games will be very disappointing. There's nothing we can do about it, but yeah. that's just how it's going to be. Um, but speaking yeah. of something that has not been disappointing and has had me on the edge of my seat for almost three days now, NBA trade rumors, NBA trades that actually have happened. And, of course, tonight is draft night. I mean, there is so much to begin. I don't even know where to start. So, whoever wants to, take it away right uh, now. We'll start with just the uh, elephant in the room. Drew Holiday, what are the Bucks doing? Three first-rounders and two pick swaps. For those keeping score at home, that's more than the Nets gave up in the Paul Pierce Kevin Garnett trade. They gave up more assets for a dude who is, I believe, like a one-time All-Star, like in like probably 2012 or 2013, and a two-time All-Defensive team. Marcus Smart is also a two-time All-Defensive team. Would you give up five first-round picks for Marcus Smart? I love Marcus Smart, but no, you don't. Like, they're just – they just mortgage their future for really one season because the expectation is Giannis is going somewhere that's not Milwaukee. Uh-huh. And they just ruined it. Yeah. I'm done. I think the um, – <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, I was just going to add on – I mean, I agree with everything you just said, but – I really wouldn't put Drew Holiday, you know, miles ahead of Eric Bledsoe. You know, they're they're very defensive-minded guards. They can both score Drew Holiday a little bit more so than Eric Bledsoe. But I, I'd almost say that Eric Bledsoe fit the Bucks and fit Giannis more so than Drew Holiday. Plus, you're giving up George Hill, not to mention all of the first-round picks. So it, it really just did not make any sense to me. When I um, saw it for the first time, the headline, and I, I just don't get it. I don't know uh, how else to phrase it. I mean, let me just put it in perspective. In the past two off seasons, the Pelicans have given up Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday. Two, I think they're-, they're two stars. In return, they have gotten Brandon Ingram. Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, George Hill, Eric Bledsoe, 
six first round picks and four pick swaps. <laughs> and you thought Danny Ainge hoarded assets? How do you... Yeah, <laughs> what the heck? Oh my goodness. I mean, they decided to take like everything yeah. from two teams. And keep in mind, they aren't like deep they into a rebuild. Have... They have guys who can play. They have Zion. They Zion. Have Ronaldo, they have Brandon. They Ingram, do. They do. Josh yeah. Hart, great role player. Um, Eric Bledsoe, same deal. Like, they can yep. compete now and in the future. Like, they don't need to like tank their record. I know. Because they have what was it? Ten first round picks, not including their own, in the next couple of seasons. Like, that's how you rebuild. Not- that's yeah, they have the Philadelphia pick. should take some notes. They, they have the thirteenth pick in this draft. I mean, and you mentioned it. They have a core lineup. They got they got guys that can play. They have a future. They don't need to tank. They can rebuild. They can play the young guys. See how it goes. I mean, they, this is insane. And Najee, I know you tried to get a, a quick little diss into the Seventy Sixers there, but <laughs> moving on. I mean. Well, first I should say Danny Green went from the Lakers <laughs> to the Thunder for Dennis Schroeder. And then yeah. <laughs> Danny Green is now on the 76ers for Al Horford and a first yeah. and a second round pick. Ridiculous. First of all, ridiculous. This is a Thunder portion. Second of all, really, the 76ers need shooting. And we take Danny Green. This is, this is great plan, Philadelphia. We take Danny Green. And the worst part is, like those. I think uh, they. <laughs> I know. Like you can those, go. Like at least the first rounder, they could have used that if Harden is serious about wanting to go to either Brooklyn or Philadelphia. That first round pick, they could have used that. They like. Houston isn't going to want Danny Green for James Harden. They're going to want picks. Don't trade for Danny Green. Trade for you know someone who actually help your team. I mean, I, I would understand if, like, maybe they had to attach the pick to Horford to dump his salary. But it's like, you guys signed him a year ago. It's not like you guys made the decision to give him, like, I, he got close. To, I don't know if he got the max. We got close to it. Like, that was your guys' choice. And now you're throwing away assets to get out of your terrible decision. Like, just, they're, they're, a, they're a mess of a franchise right now. They're stuck in playoff limbo. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. And even going back to the New Orleans example, you know, looking at it now, it really was the smartest decision to trade Anthony Davis when they did. Now you're looking at the trade Drew Holiday when they did because it's not worth holding on to stars that don't want to be there and in the end get nothing in return for them. Essentially wasted space, wasted time where you could be thinking for the future because while you have them and there's a very small chance, say, for New Orleans' sake of doing anything, doing anything in the playoffs competing for a championship it's better to dump those your stars although hard for the fan base obviously to to accept it if those stars don't want to be there 
It, you're not adding any value. You, you, as exactly what New Orleans just did. How many first round picks do they have for the next X amount of years? Because they got rid of stars that don't want to be there, Anthony Davis and now Drew Holiday, by trading four picks as well as young, established, you know, good players like you all mentioned, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Brendan Ingram, and I think that's that that really should be the new way of rebuilding going forward for NBA teams. I think Philadelphia is just holding on to their. Trust the process. They want it to work so bad. Hasn't worked since day one. You know, the, the, they want it to work so bad. They're getting their fans' hopes up so much for, for nothing, really, because although Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are great players in their own regard, I think you both can agree that they're not really built for today's era, and they're respectively, Joel Embiid. You know, he's a big kind of clunky, you know, dominate the offense himself kind of player, which the NBA has moved away from that style of play, um, as well as Ben Simmons. What what point guard or guard, for that matter, can't shoot in today's NBA? Um, so individually, they're great players, but I think they're just holding on to them for the wrong reasons, tying in with that trust the process motto that has not worked, you know, year after year. Yeah, and honestly, I think they need to just work things out and, you know, just try to figure out what it is that really is the issue because if it's management, if it's teamwork, if it's coaching, we, we talked about we brought in uh, Doc Rivers. You, you're not bringing in Danny Green. I mean, you're bringing in new pieces, so we'll see how it, like, flows in. But I think, I mean, you mentioned it. Why – give up a first round pick when you could, you know, make something of it. I mean, Harden. Harden wants out of yeah. Houston. And it, it was never so evident than when he turned down fifty million dollars a year to play and, you know, saying, oh, okay, I want to go to the Nets of the Sixers as a top trade destination. And now the Sixers go out and trade for Danny Green. Unless the Rockets were diehard Danny Green's fans, I think they might have just fumbled the entire bag. And now James Harden is looking very much seriously going to the Nets, which I think will just turn out into a 2020 or 2021 version of the Mm -hmm. Oklahoma City Thunder with Russell Westbrook, Carmelo (laughs) Anthony, and Paul George. Yeah, that – I don't even know how the Nets would even go about acquiring – Harden, because like I'm pretty sure they have no cap space and they don't have a ton of assets. So like yeah, it would yeah. just be and their bench would be completely depleted yeah. and they would have no second unit. Never mind second unit, they'd have three starters and, and two scrubs for their starting five, essentially. Can I get their cap space? I don't I don't get it. I, I think that I think that Philadelphia made a, a major mistake. I'm glad. I don't mind it. You know, like, thank you, yeah. Philly, for being dumb. Uh, I will say that. I mean, especially considering they have a late first round pick, it's not like they're trying to get anyone in this draft. I mean, there hasn't been any news of them moving up in the draft. 
So I think it's definitely interesting to see how they give away, you know, that pick. And then it's just like, okay, well, maybe Harden will still come here. The Nets are 30 million over the cap. I, I don't know how they think they're getting um, Harden because literally they would have to trade away Lavert, Prince, Dinwiddie, and probably DeAndre Jordan too. That leaves you starting Kyrie, Harden, KD, Jarrett Allen, and some power forward they signed from the minimum. And then they have to fill up their entire bench with dudes who are playing in the minimum. <laughs> that, that's not how you win basketball games. Yeah. I mean, hey, they do have the 19th pick. You never know. They could draft a forward still, and fill them in there. And they're still filling out yeah. their entire bench with guys from the minimum. Like, they don't have any trade exceptions. They don't have any. Yeah. Like, true. And there's no guarantee that, that Durant's too. coming back full force, hundred percent. And I know I'm a biased Celtics fan, forgive me, um, but I I just don't believe in Kyrie anymore. I think he's too. I don't want to say emotional because that's that's not the right word, but he's too. He's too into himself. He's too kind of moody, and and bottom line, he can turn toxic at any any point in time. You know, you saw that in Cleveland coming off a championship win the following season to, you know, he wanted to get the hell out of Dodge. Coming to Boston the first year was happy, enjoyed his teammates, had made great great friendships. You know, it seemed like everything was working out. Celtics are one game away from going to the finals without him. You know, obviously we all had big, big expectations for the following year when he returned, him and Gordon. Um and it seemed like he checked out. He, he got an idea in his mind midway through the season that he was going to team up with Durant to either go the Nets or the Knicks. And, and it really showed in his play. So it's kind of dangerous, you know, for an organization to have that kind of star in their team that can just flip the, flip the switch and, you know, and that dictates their play. You, you know, you're paying this guy, you know, uh, max contract to, pl- to not – be playing max contract performance level. Um, so I know I'm a biased Celtics fan. I just, I personally don't even see the, the Kyrie Durant situation working out. Never mind adding Harden to that mix, three ball dominant players with, um, depending on who they pick in the with the 19th pick, um, two non all star, non, you know, non halfway decent players with a completely depleted bench. I just don't see it working yeah, I mean, out any way you slice it. Yeah, they definitely have a lot of ball dominant, you know, tendencies and as you mentioned, don't want to be biased coming from Boston, uh, with the whole fiasco that happened with Kyrie and all the incidents. But I definitely think that Harding going over there, there would be some drama. It would be juicy. It would be interesting to see but overall, it just it just no, that's work. a nuke waiting to explode in your locker room. Those are like you, like just everything else aside, like how that team would just have literally nobody else. You put arguably the like the three most toxic personalities in the entire NBA into one locker room. It's not gonna go well. 
I don't care how many games you win. It's not going to go well, and you're not going to win a championship. Oh, yeah, you're right. You, you have to think it's not about building a team with the best players. It's about building a team with the best players that can work well together and become a, you know, a championship-caliber team. That's why I think Miami made that run because, you know, they had, they had their superstar. They had their good all-stars. They had their role players. Like, everyone knew their yeah. role, and they did it well. But, like, yeah. you're making these super teams, and they bust because, you know, chemistry isn't working well, and that seems to be a real issue. Uh, and it makes me think about the whole idea. I mean, I don't think there will be this problem in Phoenix, but uh, I wanted to mention it before we forget. Uh, Chris Paul was dealt to the Suns. And, I mean, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, that, that's, a, that's a dangerous duo in the backcourt. Yeah. I, I think we're going to see, some, see some, real, some real good games out of the Suns this year. Uh, you know, they got Aiden, who, I mean, Chris Paul working with big yeah. men, it, it just, it just goes together. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And also I think Chris Paul will elevate Devin Booker's game because, you know, you saw in that playoff run, Chris Paul was extraordinary. You know, he lifted all those young guys, Shea Gilgis Alexander. He lifted, you know, veterans like Danilo Gallinari. He, um, you know, he worked with fellow veterans like Steven Adams and he played out of his mind. He, he really revived his career, you know, last season, particularly the playoffs, you know, in o- OKC. But I think who benefited most from this trade, I think it's Devin Booker, because not only is he getting another, you know, quality player that he's been lacking his whole career, but also it's someone that'll help him mature because I don't think Devin Booker has really had to mature. You know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the clip. It's just always stuck in my, uh, in my head, the clip where he's in a pickup game with a couple fellow NBA players and he gets double teamed and he has a complete hissy fit that he got double teamed in a pickup game. And I think we've talked about it in a, in a previous episode, but, some stuff like that he just has to mature and get over and show you know what kind of player he really is i believe he's he's um you know a top caliber player obviously he's never been put in positions to really showcase it especially not in the playoffs but i think that's going to be the biggest benefit and bring chris paul is really uh, forcing devin booker to mature and really be a better player better teammate, better leader, you know, for the rest of his career. I mean, I will say this. I think that it's about time for Devin Booker. I mean, he he has done a lot. You're right. He still needs to mature. He's still a young player. But he definitely is the biggest winner in this, along with DeAndre Aiden, who I mentioned. But I think there is a close second for who wins, and it is the Thunder, like, headquarters organization who are making all these trades happen. I mean, if we take a look over the past couple of seasons, I mean, so for this one, it was Chris Paul, Nader to the Suns, for Ubre, Rubio, Jerome, this name, Jalen Leck, and a 2022 first round pick. That was only on top of 
the many picks and assets they got because they shopped Russell Westbrook to the Rockets and Paul George to the Clippers. They continue to do a good job because they're getting young guys, they're getting core players. And I think Kelly Uber is a pretty solid guy. Ricky Rubio's good veteran that can lead them. But they're still getting picks and they're still building all these amazing assets. And it goes back to what the Pelicans. They have so many assets. They have a lot of good role players. So they don't have to, like, tank for, like, three years to get good picks. They already have, like, half the league's picks right there. I mean, they're, they're yeah. set. And they're good. You talk about the Pelicans' asset trove. And the Clippers – or the – sorry, the Thunder are in the exact same boat because, obviously, the Clippers trade. Um, and they're, like – from I'm pretty sure from this draft until – 2024, no, 2020, I'm looking down the list, 2026, uh, they have at least two first-rounders. Six years of drafts, they have multiple first-rounders. That gives them so much flexibility to move up, down, wherever they want to, to get the guys they want. I think it's too volume because they have solid assets, obviously, for picking. But, like, looking down the line, if you're trying to make trades, I mean, if you have a young core and you have a lot of picks, you can trade picks and still have plenty to keep. I think that's what Boston did when they did the Brooklyn Nets deal. They gave up old players, they got some young guys, and they got a lot of picks in return. Then they used those picks, they drafted you know, good young talent, obviously, as we've seen. But they also flipped some picks and turned it into, you know, Kyrie Irving, who then, you know, became someone else, you know. But it all comes down to how they utilize these picks because I feel like they have a lot. And obviously, you know, we previously mentioned the 13th pick for the Pelicans. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, they actually have the 10th pick in the first round this draft. And, Joe, you just mentioned they continue to have more and more picks throughout – the next couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see who they draft and how it ends up helping them in the long run. Yeah. I mean, you look back at, um, if you want to compare it to the, how the Celtics did and um, with the Nets in 2013, they, cause they got the, the picks back but they also got players and they took those players and just turned them into other players and other players and other players. So like, for example, they got a, um, uh, $10 million trade exception, which is how they got Isaiah Thomas. They got Jay Crowder with one of the players they got in the deal. Um, Jarebko, who is a big role player. So, it's not like you just take the trade, you look at it and say, okay, that's it. That's all it's going to ever become. Like any competent front office, which clearly the Thunder and the uh, Pelicans are, they're going to take whatever players they got and turn them into more players and better players and take those draft picks and package them for another star, say, or draft a guy they want, move up, down, wherever. Um, and be able to rebuild on the fly like that instead of 
sucking for five seasons and hoping you hit big on a couple of first overall picks. Uh, now all this draft talk and obviously it being draft day, I feel like we have to mention, you know, who is going where, what do we think? And overall, you know, kind of where do we see draft day trades or what is going to end up happening? Obviously the big consensus is Lamella Ball, James Weissman and Anthony Edwards are the top three, but the real question is where will they go? Obviously, uh, Wiseman's been predicted to go two because the Warriors need that big man. They need that center. Obviously, 7'1", 240. He's exactly what they need. But the question is, for the Timberwolves and the Hornets who have the first and third pick, are they going LaMelo Ball or are they going Anthony Edwards? That's a tough one. Um, I mean... It's tough. I honestly see Minnesota moving down in the draft. I mean, obviously, at the time of recording this, there's not a whole lot of time for them to do so. But because really, there's none of the guys who are like the upper tier really fit any of their needs. So I think it makes the most sense for them to move down, get a guy who would fit your system and your um your really your overall team better um i mean they've been saying that the celtics are actually trying to move into the top three i don't know why i don't know who they want but um definitely be interesting to see like if the celtics get wiseman oh my god that would be amazing but uh i'm not gonna speculate on that because i'm gonna assume the warriors are not gonna want to move out of that um two spot so we'll have to see um no, I think there. Yeah, I don't think the Celtics would really want to give up any current players that are worth that number two pick. You know, I I would not give up Marcus Smart. I wouldn't give up Jalen Brown. Obviously, wouldn't give up Tatum. I wouldn't even give up Kemba Walker for for that number two pick. So I don't know how or why they'd move into the top three. Um, I'd rather have them, you know, trade their current picks and maybe some one one of the younger guys that we have, whether that be Grant Williams, Robert Williams, um, you know, for a current player, established player, because I think the Celtics really want to and they they can win now. Uh, I think waiting, I don't think Celtics fans want, you know, to develop and wait for for more talent. I think. Most of us see the talent already in front of us currently. Um, and we just got to keep building on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. I wouldn't want to give too much up. They've, they've talked about shopping, you know, a couple of their first rounders to move up. So I don't really think they're really going to send a player for a draft pick. But just looking at what the Celtics are projected, and this is only off just like one of the CBS like mock drafts. Uh, for their 14th pick, they have, like, Cole Anthony. And I think that's kind of a smart one because, obviously, Kemba yeah. Walker, you know, being a 30-year-old point guard, coming off not the best postseason. He was injured, so obviously there's that. But I will say that, you know, Cole Anthony was one of those top guys who kind of dropped in the more recent years. And I think that he could provide some, you know, 
you know, some some scoring off the bench, uh, you know, as a rookie and obviously develop into a starter once that role opens up. And then later on, they're project, um, they have like the 26th and the 30th. On the 30th, interestingly enough, they're projected Vernon Carey Jr. out of Duke. And I really like this. I think that would be a good pickup because obviously 6'10", he's a big dude. You know, they need to upgrade you know, their big man, and we've been saying it every episode, he's definitely more of a traditional center uh, than, like, one of the modern, like, shooting ones. But he definitely, you know, proved at Duke that he is worthy of playing. In yeah, the I would love Cole Anthony. I think if we could develop him behind Kemba, um, he has real potential to uh, become that sort of go-to guy once Kemba is on the decline. Um, and because I mean, the Celtics have they have three picks obviously in this draft, and um, there's not a ton of room on the roster, so I could see them going for a draft and stash guy, not sure who, but um, because there's just not nearly enough space on the roster for three new rookies to come in and really contribute much of anything to the team. They have done a good job, and Brad Stevens, I will commend him for it, getting the new guys and the younger guys minutes. Uh, I've seen, you know, we saw Rob Williams really progress throughout the bubble, and Grant Williams has been seen, you know, working out, really perfecting his three-point jump shot. So I think with that, it'll be interesting to see how well our core young guys have progressed. I will say, I believe we lost, you know, cancer. We got a bunch of guys on like one-year deals. So obviously there is some wiggle room to see who will get minutes, who will get drops to the G League to, you know, evolve and work on their game. But I agree with you. I think Cole Anthony is a good pickup. I really like the Vernon Carey Jr. pickup. I think that's a smart one. And that's just two possibilities out of our three first rounders. I believe yeah. we have a second, second rounder, round but I'm not sure anything, how so. high up it is. Not too worried about it. whoever they pick in the second round. Okay, well they they do win the one second round. I think um, Draymond Green was a second rounder, but that's pretty much the entire list of second rounders who have done anything. Now, going back to sort of the debate, uh, to wrap it up, I will say this. There have been reports about people around the league believing that Charlotte's front office uh, wanting LaMelo Ball for their pick. So, you know, LaMelo Ball, incredible player. We've been seeing it for so long. He's projected – I mean, he's been projected number one – He's been picked in top three. I mean, depends on which one you look at. He's he's always going to be picked sooner rather than later. Like Honestly, now. <laughs> starting any moment now is 8 o'clock. Yeah. I mean, LaBella Ball could be picked up by the time we end yeah. this podcast. I mean, that just goes to show you his talent. But if if Minnesota doesn't pick him and we all think the Warriors are going with James Wiseman, Charlotte really wants him. I think – they've made like a push for it. So I don't know how that will unfold, but they've said that they want LaMelo Ball. And 
it'll be interesting to, to see how it all plays out. Um, I don't know. I still, I still in, in the mock draft kind of have Lamel at one and, and Wiseman at two. I don't really see too much devi- deviation from that, but you know, um, if if something does change, it'll be extremely, you know, against what people have been anticipating. That is true. I feel like a lot of people have been like seeing this and being like, "Oh, who's gonna get it?" Now, I would say that Lamelo and Edwards kind of both work out for Minnesota with the number one pick because they do have D'Angelo Russell, and I feel like Edwards as a true shooting guard, you know, you kind of have a really good backcourt there. And Lamelo as a point guard, you could move Russell to the shooting guard or move Lamelo to the shooting guard, whichever one. So either way, the guard backcourt there would work out really well. But it just kind of comes down to, you know, what they think will work best in the end with their team, you know, with D'Angelo Russell, with Carl Anthony Towns, with the rest of the Timberwolves organization. Now... Since it is draft night, I am very, very eager to see what will happen. And with our next episode in a couple of weeks, we will run down all that has happened, all the thoughts that we had that came true, all the crazy last-minute trades or pickups that we didn't see coming. But for this episode, it is over, and we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon.